you know, a few years ago, I gave a uh, message on, uh, uh, it was January 1st, and, and that it was on a Shabbat. And so when these holidays fall on the day, uh, you know, you can't help but, you know, let's, you know, use it uh, as a uh, jumping off place uh, to talk about the things of God. And uh, so January 1st is always a good one because, you know, even though it's, it is a turning of the day, it's, it's uh, you know, yesterday was December 31st, today is January 1st, we're still, here we are, you know, and uh, the same folks and, and, and all, all of that, but symbolically it represents something new on the calendar. So a few years ago I gave a message on Psalm 90, and, uh, and that really was really very good. So I was tempted every time that uh, January uh, 1st is on, uh, uh, falls on Shabbat, uh, I'll talk about Psalm 90 because it is so good and powerful. But then I decided, no, I don't think I will. Because, you know, there's, a, there's uh, another 149 Psalms uh, and, and lots of other passages that, that are also appropriate. And I, uh, I don't want to repeat myself, not, not that I think you're going to remember it, uh, but because you might have taken a note and then you'll say, isn't it interesting that I have a note that says that very thing, right? So, I, you know, so I, I thought I, we would look at Psalm 37, Psalm 37, which is another great psalm that helps us to recalibrate a little, that helps us to think, uh, you know, about where we are with God and so on. And, and uh, you know, the reality is, is uh, that we are living in difficult days. I mean, we really are living in difficult times. Now, it's not that other times have not been difficult, right? They clearly have. But it's kind of different. This is a little different. Uh, everything that people have experienced over the past few years, two years, uh, uh, on a variety of levels, you know, uh, in, in a variety of ways. Uh, and uh, people respond in different ways, um, Certainly, it's been uh, difficult for many in terms of uh, relationships and in uh, interactions with people and uh, issues of certainly of health, clearly. Uh, you know, people uh, have drawn lines in the sand in various places, uh, you know, and, and all of that. And, uh, and so Psalm 37, I think, is kind of helpful in helping us maybe to uh, just get some clarity a little bit on, on what God might want us, how God might want us to carry ourselves, uh, how, how, the, how uh, uh, we can live in a, a godly and healthy uh, way uh, during these days. The reality is, is that uh, we all know that there will be a day of reckoning, right? There is a day of consummation. There is a day of judgment. There is a day when, uh, you, you know, wrongs will be made right and, and vindication uh, will be had and, uh, and, and so on. And uh, that is indeed uh, an important truth uh, for us to maintain yet balanced at the same time with living in this world. I mean, we live in this world, and we are susceptible to the things uh, that, uh, that happen in this world. So Psalm 37, like some other psalms, uh, is designed 
to uh, help us to remember these things and to remember uh, how, you know, how we ought to, you know, how we might want to be thinking and interacting with, with others. Psalm 37 is a little bit like Psalm 1. It has some resemblance to uh, Psalm 1 because it has to do with uh, those who are righteous, those who are wicked, and, uh, you know, and the interactions between them and, and as uh, people who uh, are Messiah followers or who know the Lord, I, uh, how we're uh, how we're called to live, like for example, you know, in in Psalm one it says, uh, "How blessed is the man or the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers." In other words, doesn't dwell, you know, uh, with uh, um, uh, sinners to be influenced and so on. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, and so on. Right. And then it says in verse four, but the wicked are not so. Right. And so you have uh, uh, very much like the book of Proverbs, very much like these, these are really proverbial kinds of psalms where you have two groups, you know, or two ways is what we usually refer to. It, two ways, uh, the way of wisdom and the way of foolishness. Right? So the way of righteousness, the way of evil deeds is kind of how and which way are we going to. Which way are we going to travel? Which road are we going to be, right? And I think that for many of us, when we say that magic prayer, we think I'm automatically on that road to righteousness. I'm auto- I'm, I automatically have wisdom. And it's been my observation, with myself included, that uh, you can be a Messiah follower and, and think you're traveling on the right path when, uh, I, you know, you're basically <laughs> just making a few little adaptations to the culture of this world and think you're okay. I, I, and I'm, I'm, not talking, I'm not talking about eternal destiny, necessarily. You know, like what's going to happen to me when I die. This is more like about what's going to happen to me if, when I, as I live, uh, you, you know. And, and where, where am I putting my, uh, all of my eggs? And, and uh, uh, you know, what, what kind of alliances do I make with people based on what? which is a huge, great question. Uh, And so uh, in Psalm 37, uh, it is a teaching psalm. It's called a didactic psalm because it's an acrostic. You know what that is? That means that if you looked at this in Hebrew, each verse would begin with a letter of the the Hebrew alphabet that is uh, in order, starting with Aleph, ending in Tav. And it's done that way because, get ready, it wasn't written in English originally, right? And so this was a way for people to learn to memorize it, uh, to to learn to know the, to know it. So, whenever you see anything like that, you know Psalm one nineteen is like that too. Uh, they're they're teaching passages of scripture. I uh, in fact uh, I have a a whole book called uh, Psalms as Torah, <laughs> you know, and that's the idea that the Psalms some of the not all. Of them, but many of the Psalms are teaching us uh, something. And so that is what Psalm 37 is about. So, uh, you know, it's, either, it's, it's a Psalm by David or for David, one or the other. Uh, and uh, it's long, but I, I, I promise you, it's just like I'm turning over a new leaf. I, all right? I'm turning over a new leaf. I don't know what that means, but okay. All right. 
So I, I, the, the psalm can really be divided up into four parts. Right? We're not going to talk about that. The first part is about yielding to the Lord. The first 11 verses about yielding to the Lord. About what that means. Okay? I, the middle verses, the, the middle verses I, are about being content, knowing that you know, uh, the, the evildoers will be judged. You know, and, God, and God knows your plight. You know, that, that's the middle verses. And then uh, toward the end, uh, 27 to 40, is basically, so do the right thing. <laughs> All right? Uh, and so you have, you know, basically be dedicated to the Lord, be content, and do the right thing. I, we're going to look at uh, mostly the beginning with uh, a little bit along the way. Okay. So the first 11 verses is what we'll look at, and then with a couple of others. Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not, uh, or be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. And he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evildoing. For evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. Uh, and you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Actually, even as I'm reading it, I think you could make an argument that the first 11 verses also serve as a summary of the entire psalm of all 40, of all 40 verses uh, uh, in a variety of ways. And my guess is, if you have read uh, the Bible once or twice, there's probably other places in the Bible where you have heard some of these verses. Some of them actually in the New Covenant and the Sermon on the Mount, right? I, and so what it tells us is, is that Psalm 37 is a, is a very well-known psalm. Uh, clearly, Yeshua uses a portion of Psalm 37, and I would suggest that the tenor of what we call the Beatitudes, I won't take the time, we won't read them all, but if you read the Beatitudes, if you don't just look at them line by line and, and take it apart, but you sort of look at it as a whole, you kind of get a lot of what's going on in uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 37. Uh, and that is, is that in God's kingdom, right, I, I, in God's world, we could say, I, that there is a, di and, and this, is, this is not original with me, there is a divine reversal 
of, of a way of the way of living ethically and morally. Uh, it's clear in the New Covenant. For example, if you look at the in the Gospel of Luke in the sixth chapter, I'm going to use that rather than Matthew. In uh, the Gospel of Luke in the sixth chapter, beginning in verse 20, okay, it says, And turning his gaze on his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. How many of you have noticed that? Actually, uh, Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and cast insults on you and spurn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for in the same way their fathers used to treat uh, the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. And just as you want people to treat you, treat them uh, in the same way. And I'll, I'll just stop there. So this is Luke's version, you know, of uh, a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. But what you notice uh, here is, is that he's saying that in God's kingdom, priorities change. Uh, and you see this reversal uh, of ethical, moral norms. You see it in a lot of places. Uh, for example, you know, when Yeshua says those uh, who are last shall be first, that there is, that in his kingdom, things get turned around. Uh, you see it going back into the, uh, into the Torah. Uh, the older shall serve the younger. Uh, in the coming of the Messiah, he didn't come as a, a mighty strong Atlas, right? He came as a suffering servant. And so when God, in God's world, in our uh, living, uh, dwelling in him, there's a, there's a change in ethics, morals, you know, and, and priorities. Uh, and, uh, and that, I think, is reflected uh, here in Psalm 37 about the way we view people, the way we view ourselves, uh, you know, and the world that we live in. Usually in Psalm 37, a heading like in a, you know, in a devotional or in a commentary or something will be how to, how to get by in difficult times. And of course, when you read these things like, uh, you know, trust, dwell, delight, it's always seems, it's always about, okay, as long as internally I'm, that's the goal is to simply internally trust God so that I don't worry. But while that's certainly a part of it, another part of it is how we live and, and, and how, we, how we demonstrate life, you, you know? And um, 
Uh, and, and so hopefully, since this is the beginning of the year, it might help us just to think a little bit. Probably there's not a lot new, I don't know, you know, new things, but, but just about like when we form our opinions about things, what are they based on, you know? You know, uh, are we simply adapting, you know, current the current world structure? Are we simply adapting it a little bit to where I am, you know? Or is Yeshua's kingdom really something radically different? May I suggest the latter, that Yeshua did not come to adapt. He came to transform. Uh, and I think that is what we have in this song. Okay. So when it says, do not fret because of evildoers, uh, be not envious toward wrongdoers, that doesn't, mean be wor- that doesn't mean don't worry. Fret is like not a really a great word. doesn't mean don't worry. I read what people have written about this song. Don't worry, don't worry. Trust in God, don't worry, it'll be all right. It's not what it says. It means don't have this, don't get all burned up over evildoers. It means don't get angry and frustrated. That's what it means. Don't get angry and frustrated when the world is not working out the way you want. Have we ever been angry and frustrated when, you know, when you're, you're looking at the world around you and, uh, and you say, boy, it's not the way it used to be, or uh, the country's going to you know where, and this and that, and right? Uh, now, I I would say, I would suggest that there's something underlying here. Because when we fret, the biblical word, you know, uh, in in, in Hebrew, don't uh, don't burn up over this. Underneath it is don't react in the way people normally react when you get angry and frustrated, right? How do we react when we get angry and frustrated? We lash out. I, you know, we resort to drawing lines in the sand. I, I'm not going to talk to those people anymore, or they're way off, or we point fingers, and, and we use our faith as a way to uh, basically uh, um, uh, 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 oppress and to retaliate. And we become somewhat self-righteous in the whole thing. Right? Gee, it was a lot safer if it just meant don't worry. It would have been a lot safer passage of Scripture. Right? But he's saying, this is what he's saying, don't get angry and frustrated because of evildoers. And don't be envious toward them. That's a whole other thing. Sometimes in the Bible, uh, there's an assumption that wrongdoers are greedy, are people who are wealthy and greedy and confiscate land. Uh, We're learning that in the book of Micah. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and um, uh, and so when he says here, don't be envious toward wrongdoers. Uh, don't be angry and frustrated uh, because you feel cheated out. Don't feel angry and frustrated if uh, if you're a uh, if you're in the minority opinion. Don't be angry and frustrated if you're misunderstood. Don't be angry and frustrated if evildoers seem to be having their way. Don't be angry and frustrated if I work really hard and they work really hard, but how come they seem to be having an easier time than I am? That makes us angry and frustrated many times. Now, not on Shabbat morning at 1030, 
No, no, that will never happen. We're too busy saying praise the Lord, uh, uh, you know, to, to squeeze that out, right? Uh, but it is indeed uh, a reality. So then in verse 2, he says, why, you know, don't get it. Not because they're wrong. Don't, it, it, the reason not to get frustrated is because, you know, you're, you're misunderstanding them, right? But because they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. That, uh, you, you know, their way or their way of life is not going to last forever. In fact, I was having a conversation with someone this week uh, uh, who was uh, sharing with me about something that they saw and something that they read about how, uh, and this was just an interesting thing, that, you know, what we think will last forever are things like institutions. You know, people die, but institutions will last forever. And so uh, this thought was, it's more of the opposite. Like, the institutions are going to pass away, but the people are going to last. But, you know, uh, those who know Messiah, those who know the Lord, are going to live forever, right? And, uh, you know, and the Bible does teach uh, in the book of, uh, of Daniel, in the 12th chapter, that one way or another, everybody lives forever, right? But institutions, except for the kingdom of God, will all pass away. So whatever scratches your itch in whatever realm, institutionally, it's not going to last forever. But God lasts forever. And the things of God last forever. The context of that conversation is that we ought to be more concerned about people than institutions. Uh, I, uh, we, ought to be, we, we ought to be more concerned uh, with uh, uh, you know, sharing the good news with people or praying for people that we know or we don't know rather than concerned about the big institutions and, and, and will they last and, and what do they propagate, you know? Uh, uh, you know how Paul, in talking about persecution, uh, said that, you know, we, we look at things that are uh, invisible and not the things that are temporal, but the things that will last forever, the things we don't see, right? Uh, but we tend to, you know, see life as what's right in front of us and, and not much beyond it. You know, and so I just react to whatever's right in front of my face or whatever's going to make me happy or sad or feel good or secure or, or what. And so I uh, hear he says, so don't get angry and frustrated because of evildoers and don't be envious toward wrongdoers. That's all going to pass away. Right. So then he says, and these are all imperatives. Right. Uh, uh, these are all imperatives. So they're like, do this. Right? Trust. Now, it doesn't say, now, it might be wise to trust in the Lord. No, it's like a command. Okay? Like the Psalms as Torah, you know? Trust in the Lord, be steadfast. What that really means is be steadfast. You know, uh, uh, be steadfast. Trust uh, in the Lord and do good, which is the, these simple little statements are huge, right? Be steadfast. Don't get angry and frustrated, but be steadfast in the Lord and do the right thing and do good. Okay? May I suggest that is like the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, right? Right there. You know, trust in the Lord and do good. Don't retaliate. Don't hate your enemy. You know, in fact, in fact, what Yeshua says, what is amazing, is not just don't hate your enemy. He says, love your enemy. I had another interesting conversation this week with someone. Uh, uh, about about the radical love of Yeshua, uh, and uh, uh, demonstrated 
you know, in trust in the Lord and do good, right? Love, love your enemy, for example. Turn the other cheek. Uh, walk the extra mile. Give another coat. <laughs> you, you know, things that seem almost like unfair, right? But Yeshua is teaching a Torah way of life, right? In fact, we're all very familiar with the passage in Leviticus chapter 19, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And we're probably familiar with that passage because I've taught on it numerous times. And, and, and I'm sure, you know, Henry has talked about it. Marcy, I'm sure others, everybody, right? So the beginning of that passage says, be holy for the Lord your God is holy, right? We usually think of holiness as how many walls of separation can I put between me and anybody else? You know, uh, you're not holy, I'm holy, right? You know, that kind of thing. But uh, as you read that chapter, what you learn is, is holiness is reaching out to poor and vulnerable people, whether you like that or not, okay? Uh, you know, in fact, you have that one verse that says, don't put a stumbling block in front of blind people, but revere God. Revere God equals help the blind person. It's like, you know, but it equals revere God. And then, of course, it culminates in love your neighbor as yourself. Don't hold the grudge, right? But if you read further on in the chapter, chapter doesn't end there, but if you read further on in verses 33 and 34 of Leviticus 19, it talks about the alien and the stranger inviting them in and loving your neighbor as yourself. So the neighbor becomes the alien, uh, the sojourner, the traveler. And that is exactly what Yeshua taught in the parable of the Good Samaritan. He just taught it, in, you know, he taught it in, in a way that is, uh, is beautiful, you know, using the, the, the ultimate enemy in, in those days uh, of that person is actually living the Torah way of life. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, you know, who is my neighbor, uh, right? And, uh, and, and so uh, this, uh, it is very interesting uh, that you have right next to each other, you know, don't be angry and frustrated because, because of evildoers. Be steadfast and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate and uh, and cultivate faithfulness. I uh, you know so literally dwell in the land of Israel and cultivate faithfulness, of course. But he's using it as a metaphor because uh, the last time I checked, there is no crop called faithfulness. It's not like you're actually going to grow faithfulness somewhere. Like you grow corn, maybe, but you don't grow faithfulness. So he's using land uh, here as a metaphor. The land as, well, what do we know about? It's the holy land. It's the place where God dwells, right? Uh, and, and so dwell where God dwells. Dwell in the land. Don't be an exile. Don't be an outsider. Dwell where God dwells and cultivate faithfulness. Cultivate is a very interesting word also. It would be like tending sheep, like you're tending sheep. You know, like you've got to take care of them. You, you've got to be careful with them and, and all that goes along with that, right? So in other words, faithfulness becomes like this thing that, that I need to be proactive in developing. I need to be proactive in developing. May I suggest that don't whip yourself into saying that, well, I'm just not the man or woman that I'm supposed to be. I'm, I'm just the way I just way I am. That's, that's retreat. But we need to take the initiative and say, no, I'm the man or woman that God has made me. 
I may not be demonstrating that right now, but I'm going to cultivate it. You know what it reminds me of in Psalm 90, right? Where it says, teach me to number my days. It doesn't say number my days. It says, teach me, Lord, to number my days. In other words, an acknowledgement that I'm not quite there. And that's what you have here. It wouldn't say cultivate faithfulness if we were all assumed to be faithful, right? But dwell where God is and work on it. How do you work on it? You work on it by practicing it. You work on it by by practicing it. By 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 uh, sometimes if it doesn't even if I don't feel like it, I'm going to bless someone. I'm going to be I'm going to do faithful things. And you'd be surprised when you have the will to do it, and you know that God desires that you do it, and the ruach hakodesh lives in you. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Okay. Don't give up. Right. And then you have delight. So you have trust, dwell, cultivate faithfulness, delight. And this is great. Delight yourself in, in the Lord. Uh, that is the word. The, the root of that word is oneg. All right. Oneg. Delight yourself in, in the Lord. That is a really interesting word. It's used in a lot of places. It's in Isaiah. It's in a few different Psalms. You read about it in Job. Very interesting word. And really what it means is to, it's like this. If you've ever been on a vacation, maybe a cruise, or you're at some kind of fancy resort, and the sky is absolutely blue, and the weather is perfect, and you go out to the pool or the beach, and you're kind of like hanging out with like some kind of a foodie drink with a long straw, you know, that kind of thing, right? And just the, the, uh, the feeling of that, that's kind of what delight yourself in the world. Uh, I think this is a verb. You know the word luxurious? When you say something is luxurious? Well, if you made that into a verb, it would be luxuriate. <laughs> okay? So that's really what this word is. Find the Lord like, you know, and just in his presence to be like, this is the best ever. You know, now you read it here. It's a command, right? So you can't just like turn it on and off. This, these are, this is something to think about and then to cultivate and to do, right? And we'll talk in a moment about how can we do that, right? It says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's written else. You read that verse almost word for word in a couple of different places in the Bible. And the idea there is, is, is uh, as you have, as you luxuriate in the Lord, this become, God's desires become your desires. You, you know, it's not like uh, a quid pro quo kind, right? Uh, if I do this, he'll do that. No, it's, it's as I find my heart to be with the Lord, that's where I will find joy. That's where I will be able to, um, and not get angry and frustrated. And that's where I will be able to navigate the waters. That's where I will be able to do what is right and really be a testimony of the living Yeshua, uh, you know, in this world. A lot of it means changing our priorities and changing our desires and, you know, and, and changing uh, maybe how I think the world changes. Because I think for many of us, we think that if we if we either maintain or propagate our institutions, that is our savior. That is, we would never say that. That is our savior. That is what it's going to make. That's what's, 
No, Yeshua came to transform. He came to propagate a radical kind of love, which he demonstrated in his own life when he died for our sins. He was misunderstood. He was wrong, but he served a greater purpose. He served a greater purpose. May I suggest we serve a greater purpose. And I think that as, you know, as we enter a new year, let us try to maybe recalibrate. Where are my passions? And, you know, what do I really desire? And how do I really feel about the people that are diametrically opposed to the way I think? I think these are very important. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do it. Commit is, again... You know, sometimes I wonder, okay, it's an acrostic. I wonder if they had to come up with a word to make gimel, you know, because you know what the word here for commit is? It's the word, uh, uh, the whole word would be galil. You know what that that means? To roll. Uh, Like, uh, you know, uh, in the book of uh, Joshua, Gilgal, Gilgal. The reason it's called Gilgal, it says right in the passage, is because God rolled away the reproach of the slave. Gilgal. It's where Galilee. Galilee, same, same word. Hebrew, same word. Uh, so why here? What is that? So how do you get commit out of this? So, you know, it's very interesting. It's really like a play on words. It's sort of like, you know how we might say, give it over to the Lord. Give this difficulty to God. It's sort of like roll it over. R- roll yourself to God. Roll yourself over to the Lord, you know? Uh, and that's, uh, that, that's kind of the picture uh, that, that you get. Commit, uh, you know, commit your way to the Lord. In other words, just like we might uh, uh, see in the, in the Brit Hadashah, you know, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do, you're serving God. Whatever you do, whatever your place is in life, wherever you are, recognize. So commit your way. Commit your way. The, commit your walk, your deportment, your traveling, your journey. To the Lord. Again, repeated, trust also in him and he will do it. And he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. And then rest. It's a command. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Then you have cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads to evil doing. Have you noticed that the word fret is repeated like three or four times here? Don't get angry and frustrated, but commit your way to the Lord. Don't get angry or frustrated. Keep your eyes fixed on Yeshua, the author and finisher of your faith. Don't get angry and frustrated, but recognize that there's a day of reckoning that will come for the evil one. Don't get angry and frustrated because you're serving God. Whatever human institutions we may live in, with, for, whatever, that can frustrate us to no end. But when our focus is on God, when we're in his kingdom, when he's our leader, he will not fail. And when we live his way, we will not fail. The world is in rebellion. (laughs) The world is a dark place, right? We've moved from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. That is our primary identity. And so may I suggest to us, and really not just us, but us, us, that the things that we find um, 
that are uh, obstacles in the way. I won't have fellowship with you unless I, um, you know, unless things are this way, I won't do this. That and and uh, you know, and we and we end up end up fighting against each other. May I suggest the question is, well, who's where's Yeshua? You know, is he just like part of the uh, part of the constellation of beliefs that I have? Is he just part of you know, I'm a this, I'm a this, I'm a this, and I'm a, I'm a Messiah follower. And it all is in the mix. Well, if it's all in the mix, we got a problem. It's not all. It, that is not what it means to call Yeshua Lord, you know? And, uh, and so as this unfolds, he, he goes on to say, for example, uh, you know, toward the very end of, of what I read, the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Again, that, you know, that is the opposite of the, uh, the normal course, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and so again, uh, what the psalmist here is saying is that, you know, in God's world, it's not about dog eat dog. You know, it's not about my way or my belief about this, that, or the other thing. It's all... It's like opposite. God's priorities, uh, you know, are are uh, what we read. Uh, uh, what we read here, doing good is a paramount thing to God. Uh, what we read in Luke, uh, or what you read in the Sermon on the Mount, and you know, and uh, I mean, in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, that is uh, the way you know that God has. Uh, God has called us to live. We read uh, here, if you go all, oh, almost all the way down, like to verse 21, uh, you know, it says, the wicked borrow and does not give back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. So to speak, not just isn't like the wicked, but goes beyond it, you know? Uh, very much like don't hate your enemies. Don't just not hate them, but love them. So it's like the wicked, he's saying the righteous don't just pay back, but the righteous give, uh, you know. And then again, for those blessed by him will inherit the land, you know, and those cursed by him will be uh, cut off. And then uh, you have the steps of a man are, are established by the Lord and he delights, again, he delights in his way, okay. And then there's, there's an assurance you know, the famous verse, verse 25, I have been young and now I am old. Don't take that personally, anybody. Okay, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. All day long he is gracious and lends and his descendants are a blessing. Depart from evil and do good so you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved. Uh, they are preserved forever. Uh, and then uh, I guess uh, it, we just run down all the way to the end. Uh, verse 39 and 40. For the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. And the Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in. And, and so, uh, you know, as we come to the beginning of, uh, of the year, I, I pray and I, it is my desire for myself, you know, I, to be more 
have more clarity on uh, how God would want me to interact with, all, with, with this world. Because transformation comes from the inside out. And real, if we desire real change in this world, it has to come from the inside out. And that is, when, when we're talking about sharing the good news, it's not just about what's going to happen to me when I die. It's, it's about come and join up with what God is doing. And that is the breaking in, you know, of, of his uh, kingdom. And so may we yield to God. May we be content in him. Uh, you know, may we not get, uh, uh, you know, uh, angry and frustrated and then act out uh, by words uh, or deeds. But uh, may we be able to reach out into the darkness and demonstrate the light of Yeshua to this world. And uh, so, indeed, uh, may, uh, may we trust, dwell, cultivate, delight, uh, commit, trust, and rest in him. Uh, and uh, may we see a difference in our own life, in our own relationships, and indeed, the world. Lord uh, God, uh, we thank you that you came to reverse the, the sinfulness of this world, to reverse the consequences of sin and of the sin in this world. Yes, Lord, we look forward to the day when the, uh, the wolf and the lamb will lie down together, because in our world they're, they're natural enemies. Lord, uh, we look forward to the day when there will really be a unity in this world that can only take place in you. Uh, God, uh, may we be able to live out what we read here in Psalm 37 for the betterment of ourselves, our families, our community, and our world. All by the power of your Ruach HaKodesh, Lord. And may people really be able to see us as that's Yeshua. That's who he is. We pray that in Messiah's name.